We all know what this victory for ABBA later led to, but it wasn't so easy for them to have further success directly afterwards, abroad. Why? Well, I think I think in Northern Europe uh, and Central Europe, you know, places like Germany and the Netherlands, I think they 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 still had success even after Waterloo. But it was a, uh, they had a, the biggest problem was in the United Kingdom because they went to number one with Waterloo, but then everything they released after that for about 18, 18 months or so was a flop. It chart, charted very lowly or didn't chart at all, and. You know, they wanted to be taken seriously there because that's so important for credibility in the rest of the of the uh, international music business. And I think that was, you know, it was partly because of Eurovision, unfortunately, I think, because they, um, in the UK, the the view of Eurovision was like, okay, you can have your one hit and then bye-bye, we don't want to hear from you. So that became like a millstone around their necks that they had won Eurovision, that they had committed the crime of emerging through Eurovision. But, you know, eventually they were able to turn that around when they when they released SOS and people could hear, okay, this is actually a real group. They're not just there for for the fun of it or for 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 you know being one hit wonders they really they're really ambitious here with in their songwriting so when you're near me, darling, can't you hear me? I remember from my chat with Martin Lee, one of the singers and composers of the group Brotherhood of Man, who won the Eurovision in 1976 with uh, Save All Your Kisses For Me. Uh, he told me that ABBA struggled hard to get further hits and gave their songs away to other acts and that they were offered Mamma Mia before ABBA released it themselves. Yeah, I think I think that's a very very strange story. I've heard that story before. I think I think that sounds very very odd to me that they would have done that. Maybe there was a music publisher who said, you know, we have this song Mamma Mia here. Is that something you would be interested in, in recording? Uh, but I, <laughs> I don't think ABBA themselves would have said, oh, you know, this song Mamma Mia, it's not going to be a hit, you know, it's not, you know, let's see if we can get someone else to record it. I think that sounds very, very unlikely. I mean, they recorded a promo clip for it even before it had been released as a single. They, it was a song they believed in as, a, you know, it's the opening track of the album. I, th- I think that's, Part of that story, I think, might be true. I don't think it was like ABBA came to them. Please record Mamma Mia. I, d- I don't think that's that doesn't that doesn't sound accurate to me. Uh, what about the song Honey Honey then? That Sweet Dreams released was that offered to them before? Did they just cover the song? No, they just they just covered it. The the thing was that Stig Anderson had. Uh, you know, he was a music publisher first and foremost, so he made this decision that when the Waterloo album was released in the UK, he gave the copyrights, instead of giving all the copyrights to one uh, music publisher, you know, he gave this music p- publisher the, the copyright to What About Livingstone and uh, 
this music publisher got the copyright for Hasta Mañana, and this other music publisher got the uh, publishing for Honey Honey. And the people who got Honey, uh, who acquired Honey Honey, they had a record label, and they said, okay, we, we have the copyright to this song here, let's do something with it. So they they put together this duo called Sweet Dreams, it was just like a studio duo, really. It wasn't like like a real group when they recorded it. And recorded Honey Honey and released it. And it became quite a big hit in the UK. And the irony is that Abbott's English record company said, no, you shouldn't release Honey Honey in this country. It's not going to be a hit. You should do a <laughs> remix of Ring Ring instead. And Ring Ring was a flop single in the UK. Whereas Honey Honey with Sweet Dreams became a hit. So I don't think... Abba would have uh, would have been very happy about that. Even though it was a bit sluggish directly after the victory with Waterloo, the big or rather huge breakthrough came with the album Arrival in 1976, two years later, and it would be some really intense years for the four members. But despite that, the four members did not put all their focus on ABBA. In addition, Björn and Benny produced songs for other artists at the same time. Agneta gave birth to a second child and sang backing vocals on other artists' records together with Anifrid. And my question here is, did they work 24-7 during this period? No, I don't think so. I mean, they they worked hard, certainly. But Bjorn and Benny, they gave up doing production work for other artists in in early in the spring of 1976, I think. And those backing vocals, and you know, it's not like that took several weeks. It was just come to the studio, do the backing vocals, and then go home. That would would have taken a few hours. So, but I but I mean, okay, they were they were touring and they were uh, doing promotion and stuff like that. So certainly they were working a lot, but. Not that much. I think there were artists who worked much harder than they did. Certainly, Agnet and Frida. I mean, they, when Bjorn and Benny were working in the studio for hours and hours and hours and writing songs for hours and days and weeks, Agnet and Frida didn't really have that much to do. There was something in the air. In 1979, the Eurovision was held in Jerusalem, and the Swedish representative was Ted Järdestad, who was tied to the record company of Stikan Andersson, Polar Music, which was why Stikan was present in Jerusalem. Three days before the final, Stikan invited the famous songwriter Kobe Osharat to his hotel suite, letting him know that he was convinced that Kobe's song was going to win and wanted to make a five-year deal with him for the right to release all of his songs. But Mr. Oshrat did not recognize this legendary producer as anything else than some guy that he had watched consume insane amounts of alcohol every night in the hotel bar. So he didn't take the offer seriously, he told me. 
And when I spoke to Kobiashrat earlier this year in this podcast, he revealed that this was what he regretted the most from his entire career, that he didn't even bother to give a proper response to this man, who he later learned was the legendary Stikan Andersson, and not just some random record company dude with a huge interest in alcohol beverage. The representative of, of CBS in Israel come to me, he's, he's a friend of mine, and said, the representative of CBS Sweden wants to see you in his suite. He didn't say who is it. And I'm coming up to his, and I see this guy who was drinking every night. And he told me, look, your song is going to win the competition. It was three days before the competition. And I want to sign you for the next five years of all the things, songs you're going to write. He said, okay, I will answer you. And I went down and even didn't bother to answer him. This is Sting Anderson, the producer of ABBA. And this is probably the big mistake of my life. Professional life. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is that Stickan turned out to be completely correct in this prediction. Kobiosrat's song did win, and it was called Hallelujah. Have you heard about this? No, I never heard that story before. That's fascinating. That's that's really great. Wow, that's 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 amazing. Yeah, that was a yeah. He sh- that was a bit of a of a missed opportunity. Uh, certainly, certainly. Definitely. And Stickan more or less always had a finger for this. He knew what people like. Yeah, I mean, that was that was how, how he became successful. He had a good ear for what would become a hit and uh, what, what, what other people would like. You know, he probably, Bjorn and Benny has, have always said, you know, the reason our music is so successful, uh, the ABBA music, is that we have... We have the same music tastes as, as a lot of other people. And I think that's true of, of Stig as well. You know, they, they, they liked the kind of music that a lot of other people liked as well. And Stig and Andersson tried to compete in Eurovision already when Sweden made a debut in the contest in 1958, when Swedish television for the first and only time made an internal selection. And he submitted the song Jag sende dig solsken, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't selected. Did Sticken make any further attempts between 58 and 72? Do you know? I don't know. I would love to know, though. It would surprise me if he didn't try uh, a few more times. I think, I think Stig, I think he stopped writing music in 1963 or something. After that, I think he only wrote lyrics. So maybe in the following years, after I mean between 58 and 1963. I would be surprised if he didn't at least try to get one of his songs uh, into Melody Festivalen. Agneta had written most of her song, own songs prior to ABBA, but then she almost gave up on the writing to focus on the singing. But she was to compete again as a songwriter in 1981. The artist was the unknown Kiki Moberg. And the lyrics were written by the more well-known Ingela Plingforsman in Sweden. Uh, do you have any thoughts as to why Agneta decided to compete once again? Uh, I think it was that year they 
they had invited songwriters who had been successful on charts in yeah, Sweden. Yeah, very very successful on uh, successful on uh, svensk toppen I think mainly the Swedish top 10 radio chart. Uh and she'd had this you know she had started writing songs for for uh, for some time now before that 78 79 she'd written a couple of songs. Um so I don't know really what why she you know she could have said no to this challenge but maybe it was you know a challenge and she wanted to try it really i i asked her about this many many years ago and she said that you know okay maybe maybe this was a time when things were quieting down a bit i had a bit more time to concentrate on on doing on songwriting for whatever reason uh, but she couldn't offer any explanation beyond that really The song ended up dead lost, but still they recorded an album where Kiki also sang a Swedish version of the unreleased song I'm Still Alive, which Agneta sang live during the ABBA tour of 1979 and 1980. Yeah, yeah, she did that. Um, you know, the, I think that was a B-side of the single as well, of the Menatte Nivore single. So that was an all Agneta single, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, basically. So yeah, no, it's interesting that they did that. And it's, uh, that was, if you wanted to hear that song, that was the only way to hear it, if you bought that Kiki Mobai single or the album. Men mycket finns att vinna Och här är mitt liv Jag lever och finns till Nu är det upp till mig Att forma det som jag vill Ja, här är mitt liv En gåva som jag får Jag ska stå för ord och handling the year after, in the spring of 1982, ABBA decided to take a break to continue again when it felt right. Uh, Frida Agneta resumed their respective solo careers. Björn and Benny started a new project that was to become the musical Chess.
in the midst of this relations with the manager Stephen Anderson started to sour. What happened? Well, it's a long story really, but what what happened in in the late 70s and early 80s was that because for tax reasons ABBA and Polar Music International, I should say, which was the company, the record company and the production company that they owned together with Stig Anderson, they tried to diversify and do investments here and investments there to make the, you know, the, the business work better. And they, so that all the money didn't go to taxes, I should say. Yeah. And some of those investments worked very well and some of them didn't work so well and they lost a lot of money in oil and all kinds of strange things happened. So they, they kind of, and you know, Stig was more into, you know, he's, he was becoming more and more of a businessman at this time, whereas Bjorn and Benny were more and more, you know, they were more and more concentrated on music. So they were on different paths all of a sudden. They, they, they weren't, uh, they didn't really have the same interests anymore. And then in the early eighties, they were also renegotiating the, uh, the, um, ABBA contract for, and they demanded a higher royalty for the group. And then it turned out that ABBA didn't record anything, but they still felt, the ABBA members did, that they had agreed on that high royalty rate. And then in 1989, 1990, around, there, around that time, it was discovered that um, they, they were still on that low royalty rate. So they said, but you promised us a higher royalty rate. And, and Stig said, no, that was only if you continued recording. And they didn't continue recording, as we know. So he felt, you know, I don't, you should be on the same royalty rate. And, and so they couldn't agree. They couldn't really find an agreement on that. So they, that's why they, uh, Amber members filed a lawsuit against him. So that was a really sad end to, to the relationship. You know, when you think of what they'd accomplished, uh, in getting this Swedish group known all over the world at a time when no one was interested in Swedish pop music. Yeah. As this temporary break grew longer and longer, the media started to print wild stories about Agneta and Frida having been enemies during all these years. Is there any truth to this? Not as far as I know. I mean, I wasn't there with them at the time, so I don't know, but I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I find it really, really strange that they would be in this group for so many years and hate each other. It doesn't seem like something they would like to do, you know. And once they had made a lot of money, there was no really no reason for them to do that. I think they've both said that they are very different as people and they have different temperaments and things like that. So, sure, there there were a few arguments from time to time. But we all have arguments with our friends and, you know, from time to time. And that doesn't mean that we, we hate them. So I, I don't think that ever happened. And this thing that they, you know, these stories that they had fights with gold records and stuff <laughs> like that. Is, uh, it just sounds, th- that sounds like someone's uh, deranged fantasy, really. Okay, so they're recording artists. What would they use? Oh, they won't use hammers to... <laughs> go at each other they use gold records uh i mean it's it's just uh stupid i th- i think they were great friends i think they were great support to each other you can see in photos and stuff like that the way they look uh, at each other the way they interact with each other and 
like Agneta has said, you know, when they were on stage, if one of them wasn't feeling good that night, maybe was under the weather, the other one stepped in to take over more and, you know, so I think they, I think they were supporting. You know, I've heard, I've heard recording session tapes from the Abba years, and it's like they, they just discussing the songs and what do you think? Should we do it like this? Should we do it like that? And uh, you know, there's, there, there's no animosity. I don't think they would have liked to be in in the in a group together if they'd hated each other. Frida left Sweden already in 1982 and recorded two solo albums during the 80s. And one of the songs on the second album was written by Björn and Benny called Slowly. Was this the only song they wrote for her? Do you know that? Yes, as far as I know. I mean, they they had, they were, that was one of the songs they had around. They had lying around at the time, I think, because when they wrote the chess musical, in 1983 and into 1984, there were a lot of songs that came up during the writing that they felt, oh, okay, this is a good song, but it's not right for chess. We can't use it here, but we're going to use it for something else later, you know, after chess. And Slowly was one of those songs. So maybe, you know, theoretically, maybe they gave her, you know, you could choose Slowly or you could choose this song or that song or that song. And and she she chose slowly. So I think that's that's a possibility that take whatever you want and she chose this one. That man is not the man I used to And Agneta recorded three solo albums during the 80s, but then withdrew from public life and has been compared to Swedish movie star Greta Garbo due to her decision to go private. Why do you think that she made this move? Oh, well, that's... Uh, that's From what she has said, she, she she said she was just tired of of everything to do with show business, you know. She lost interest in music, in music... She lost interest in being a public person, you know, with all the gossip stories that were written about her, and, you know, things like that. She it was just, it didn't have any magic for her anymore. She needed to withdraw for a while and, and see if she could build a new life for herself that didn't have anything to do with the show business. How have the relations between the band members been since the breakup in 1982? I think it's been good. That's my impression. I think maybe, you know, maybe for a few years after the divorce and stuff, maybe they didn't want to hang out so much, you know, which is understandable. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) But I I think they became friendly. I don't think that lasted very long. Of course, you know, Frida was living abroad and Bjorn was living abroad for a few years. So it's not like they would hang out. But when they saw each other, you know, at the office or, you know, Bjorn and Benny had 
sorry, uh, Bjorn and Agneta had had children together. So, you know, so they obviously they met, met up during Christmas and stuff like that and had reason to to be in be in contact with each other to discuss things that had to do with their with their children and then you know, they had grandchildren and everything. So, my understanding is that they were always friendly and no problem really between them. The relations with Stickanden. Well, I I don't think that was ever really repaired. For some reason, Frida managed to find her way back to Stig. Uh, so they were friends. Um, I mean, they were even in a radio program together a few years after that lawsuit was settled. So they obviously became friends again. I don't think Stig became friends with any of the others, really. Uh, so that that was that ended. That was left on a on a sour note, unfortunately. Multiple records and songs have been recorded after ABBA with various other artists and groups, with Björn and Benny as writers and producers. Many of these songs do you believe have actually first been intended for ABBA? Um, well, that's an interesting question because if you say that's a melody line that comes up during the ABBA years, a melody line that comes up between 1972 and 1982 could theoretically have been developed into something that would have been recorded by ABBA, okay? But since it was never recorded by ABBA and maybe it it wasn't fully formed as a song fully completed as a song until after ABBA you know yeah it's it's maybe it's wrong to say that they were written for ABBA but i know i think benny told me that this big hit to do him in man you are my man that was you know a huge hit in this country for and was on the charts for several years and all that yeah he told me that that had been around since the early 70s. Ooh. Do you 
there's another song called uh, Crush on You, which was recorded by Benny Andersson's orchestra, which also recorded um, uh, Du är min man. And that song has, had been around since, nine, since 1979, or at least part of it. I, if it was the chorus or the verses, I don't remember. Also heard, I've heard songs, session tapes with ABBA from 1974, and there's a melody line there. There's a, yeah, there's a, a brief bit of a melody of a song that ABBA never fully recorded, that later was used in in a song that became a big hit in this country that that Benny wrote. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm writing a book now, right Ah! now. Uh, So it's going to be be in that book. I also heard a song they recorded in 1981, only like an instrumental thing with Bjorn singing demo vocals that they never recorded. And parts of that has also been recorded by Benny Andersson's orchestra many, 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 many years later. So... So it was like melody lines floating around back in during the Abba years, but only, only fully composed, fully developed into into complete songs many years later. But how many how many songs do you think ha- it has been more or less done that never got released? With Abba, you mean? Yep. Oh, I don't know really. It's oh, uh, I don't think it's that many, but. Maybe five or ten, maybe. But but then I'm talking about songs that weren't properly recorded. All of all of those songs weren't really recorded by ABBA, you know, with Agnetha and Frida singing. It's something, you know, many of those songs, they just started working on them in the studio with the session musicians when they were recording a backing track, you know, with bass drums and keyboards and guitar. And maybe Bjorn was singing like a demo vocal, just nonsense lyrics. And then they dropped it before they got any further. So you have a few of those songs, of course, but I don't know exactly how many. In just some weeks, ABBA's 10th album, Voyage, will be released, which also marks the 40-year anniversary of the previous album, The Visitors. What do you know about the new album? Well, I don't know so much about it. I haven't heard it. Uh, I know that, obviously, the two songs that have been released so far... Uh, I Still Have Faith in You and Don't Shut Me Down. They're going to be on the album. Uh, They have also taken an old, unfinished ABBA song called Just an Ocean, which you can hear an extract of that song you can hear in in the ABBA Undeleted medley of unfinished snippets of songs, uh, which was first released on a 1994 box set called Thank You For The Music. 
They have taken that song and uh, completed it. They have recorded an, an entirely new version of it, so it's not the old ABBA backing track or the old ABBA vocals. So it's not that version that uh, Rutger Gunnarsson and his band Arrival released. No, it's not that either. Uh, it, so it's it's they taken the song and and finished it. So it's it's completely new recording that they've done now in you know in the past few years. Yeah. Um. So that's going to be that's going to be on it. There's a song on the album called Little Things, which apparently is a Christmas tune. So that will be the first time that ABBA as a group recorded a Christmas song. And uh, that's basically all I know about it. I mean, Agneta said in an interview that if you like those first two songs that we've heard, she said if you like those songs, then you're probably going to like the album as well. It's a mixture of ballads and more up-tempo material, and uh, it sounds very much like ABBA, she says. And that's we haven't really we haven't really been told anything else about it. Bumblebee, then they they had a, a song a demo song called "Free as a Bumblebee," which was also included on that med, uh, medley of outtakes called uh, "Abound Deleted." You can hear that with Bjorn and Benny singing it, kind of silly lyrics. Yeah. So, so you see, okay, so you know about Free as a Bumblebee, and then you see that there's a song on this album called Bumblebee, so you think, oh, okay, so they've done something with that as well. But it, 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 it transpires that this is uh, not accurate, it's just a coincidence that it has the same, that that word Bumblebee has been used again for a title, it's a, apparently a completely different song. Uh, which one do you prefer, I Still Have Faith in You or Don't Shut Me Down? Uh, don't shut me down. Absolutely. I mean, I I love both songs, uh, but "Don't Shut Me Down" is the one that that really sounds like an ABBA song to me, and uh, especially on the choruses when you hear Agneta and Frida singing in harmony again, because that's you know when they told us that oh we recorded two new songs, which they I mean they recorded them in 2017 and they announced it in 2018. And my feeling was, okay, we know pretty much how the music that Bjorn and Benny write these days, we know how that sounds. But what we don't know is, or haven't heard for a long, long time, is Agneta and Frida singing together again, those wonderful, glorious, beautiful harmonies. So that was what I was really, really looking forward to. I was looking forward to that sound more than the songs themselves, if you know what I mean. Same this time around. 
it was it was kind of interesting because when we finally got to hear the songs, I was thinking, you know, how am I going to react to this? Because there was so so much hysteria, so much ex- so many expectations and surrounding this it was so much an event so I, I thought am I really going to be able to enjoy the songs when there's so I, I, I'm not going to be able to just listen to these songs in peace and quiet there's so much else going on um, and also I thought well is it am I going to feel it's not going to reach into my soul I was I was kind of expecting them not to reach into my soul but they have, and especially Don't Shut Me Down. I find myself, you know, going around humming the chorus of that uh, without having listened to it recently. It just pops up in my brain. So I think, okay, this is this is a song that communicates with me properly. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I, that, that happened, that this, the hysteria surrounding this uh, hasn't spoiled it for me. I'm able to enjoy it as as a song. Do you believe that this is the last we will hear from ABBA? Uh, yes, I believe this is the last we will hear from ABBA. But then you should remember <laughs> that I said to, you know, in interviews for many, many years, when people ask, do you think there's going to be a reunion? No, that's never going to happen. Forget about that. And I was wrong about that. So, and I was happy to be wrong about that. <laughs> uh, so, what do I know? But you know, maybe they feel like, "Wow, this was so much fun. Let's do another album." That's not impossible. But it feels like it feels like this sort of rounding off the story with one more album. You know, doing is 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 a much more satisfactory end to the story than than this kind of fizzling out into nothing. That happened in 1982. This is maybe a silly question with an obvious answer, but are you going to London next year to see the show? Uh, it's not really a silly question, uh, but the answer is yes, I'm going there, absolutely. Are you like me, giddy as a schoolgirl? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. No, I'm not giddy as a schoolgirl. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what this is. Yeah. Uh I think it's going to be very very interesting to see the the technology and all that but I'm not I'm not giddy. No no giddy for me this time. Maybe I will maybe I will be in in May to 2022. <laughs> do you have tickets for the premiere? I do. Yes, I oh, I do, yeah. Lovely. I have read more or less I believe I have read all your books. Uh when will the next book be released? Well, uh, I'm working on a book called ABBA on Record, Package Promoted Reviewed, which is about uh, what happened to the music after it had left the recording studio, so to speak, Uh, how it was reviewed in the press, how, you know, the stories behind the album sleeves, in-depth detailed stories about that, and also how the record companies worked with the with the records and the promotion and what they had to do to make them successful and the promotional trips that ABBA did to to Poland and to the United States, things like that. So I've been working on it for years and years and years now. It feels like it's never going to be finished, but I have <laughs> to really wrap things up now. Um, it's also going to be, I'm also going to write about the new album, uh, Voyage, in it. So it's going to be like the details about how that album uh, came about. Uh, it's going to be like an appendix in the book, which I'm looking forward to. And I hope to have it finished around May or June 2022. That's what I'm shooting for. Looking forward. 
Thank you, thank you. I'm me too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, please name drop three great songs with ABBA. Well, you know there are too many, too many great ABBA songs to just choose three. But uh, but I'll I'll try. I'll, uh, the the song that I usually name as my favorite song is "The Winner Takes It All," which I think is uh, is a fantastic song. It's like it's like the ABBA reached the end of the line so to speak or they they, they reached the goal it's, it feels like they, this is what we were striving for and now we're finally here after seven years as a recording group because it was released in 1980 uh, so eight years as a recording group sorry uh, anyway um, the reason I think it's so perfect is that it's it combines the simple with the complex it's only if you think about it it's only two melody lines in the song It's the, the verse melody and it's the chorus melody, and they repeat those two throughout the song. So they keep it simple, it's very simple. But then through changes in the arrangement, through changes in the lyrics, through changes in the way Agneta sings it, and her lead vocal is her best ever, before, during, after ABBA, this, there's, I mean, she has never done anything better than The Wind Takes It All. Yeah. Um, they, they make it sound like something exciting is happening all the time. So to... Keep it simple and then make you feel excited. If you can, if you can find that formula, I almost said formula, but if you can find that, then you have really made a good pop song. So I think that's that's why I like it so much and I I admire it so much. Then another song that I really love is Knowing Me, Knowing You, where Frida has the lead vocals from 1976, uh, from the Arrival album and also a big single hit the following year. Uh, it's hard to put into words why I like this so much. I think it's uh, maybe it's the first song where I feel where, where they feel like oh they're moving into uh, a bit of maturity here. It's about two grown-ups. It's it's a it's like a marriage gone wrong. They've split up, and Frida's singing is very, is very wistful. It's very heartfelt. You can feel that she's really feeling this, the sadness here, and yet there's so much energy in it, and this wonderful, the arrangement and the harmonies and everything. I, I, I struggle really to describe why I, why <laughs> I like this song so much. It's just you know. In, in a radio program that that Stig was, he was like the the main person in that radio program, and he got to choose got to choose a lot of songs, you know, that he wanted to to hear, you know, with Frank Sinatra or whoever else. And every time they asked him, the host asked him, "Well, why did you choose this song?" He answered, "Because it's good." <laughs> and so that's what I'd, I'd like to say about <laughs> "Know Me, Know You" as well. It's good. And that's why I like it. Goodbye. Knowing me, knowing you, 
And the third song I'd like to point to is one of those hidden tracks because there's a there's an unfortunate myth that has has grown up around ABBA that if you have their singles you have all you need with ABBA and on their albums it's just a lot of filler all these not so good tracks and I I would like to argue that that's definitely not true and one of the songs that I really really love is called If It Wasn't For The Nights which features Frida and Anietta singing together is from the Voulez-Vous album and it was almost a single I think it would have been a single from that album if they hadn't come up with Chiquitita and it's it's great it's it's dancey you know I love 70s disco and it has a it has a lot of disco flavor it's very dance friendly and it's so energetic it's so catchy really really good late 1970s pop um, that was the great thing about ABBA that they could they would take you know influences from everything that was going around in the music business pop music business at the time and the late 70s you know disco was the big thing so they bring that into the ABBA universe and then they turn it around and put their own spin on it so it became it becomes you know a disco ABBA style if you will yeah and I, I really think that sh- that song should have been a single and I think it would have been a great hit so that's one to discover for all the people out there who have only heard you know ABBA gold or something Or Agneta, then? Um, if you'd asked me when I was much younger, um, maybe when I was in my teens, uh, maybe I would have said Frida at the time. Uh, these days, I'm not a Frida or Agneta person. I'm, I don't know, that's, that's not me being diplomatic at all. I, I just love them equally. I think they both bring something, something vital to to ABBA. I, th- I see ABBA very much as a group. I'm not one of those people who th- think it was, oh, it was Agneta and her backing band, you know. <laughs> I see I see ABBA as four corners of a square, and if you take out one of them, the the whole thing collapses. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So I just, I, yeah, I just like I just like both singers for, for what they bring to to the group and the sound. Thank you so much for this conversation and your generosity with all of your almost obsessively thorough knowledge, Carl Magnus. Well, it was my pleasure. It's, uh, it's nice to talk about ABBA in this context and to get some time to really talk in depth about things. I enjoyed it. I hope we can continue this conversation next time I'm in Stockholm, but without microphones and recordings. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm looking forward to that. Perfect. Dinner's on me. Great. Great. <laughs> 